Good morning, everyone. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ in Adam Road and in Bishan. As we begin a new series of messages, we usually will speak from God's Word to all of us together. So we are in literal terms on the same page, but more importantly, we are one in Christ and one in spirit. And so you saw the children have great fun, right, last week? Are we going to have great fun here in our services? <laughs> I, we pray so. And it's not just fun, fun, but it's actually joy in hearing God's word. And so, what's been the most unloving thing you have heard of, you have experienced in your life last week? And so, Homiro Zamo, Zamorano, 45 years old, is a freight driver. But the kind of freight that he carries is rather different. It's human freight. And so he was in a record that trafficked humans. And you may have read that 53 people died in his truck. And the excuse or the reason that he gave was that the air conditioning had broken down. In the first place, he shouldn't be in that. How he got into that, of course, there are mitigating circumstances of his desperation, which is not there. But 53 people died because they were being trafficked. And when you hear something like that, you know that we live in a fallen world. And we ask again, what's the most unloving thing that you have experienced in your life as a single, as a married person, in marriages, in your families, in your workplaces? And it could be all around us. Ask the flip side question, what's the most loving thing you have experienced in the past week? And here's one, and um, sent by a member to some of us as pastors, she knows, the couple knows. Dear Pastor Chris, my meditation on Philippians 1 has compelled me to write this letter to you, this prayer for you. Our Father in heaven, in, indeed holy is your name, and holy is what you call us to be. And I pray that Pastor Chris may abound in love, overflowing such that he seeks with all his heart to love and care for the flock in the RPC. I pray for his knowledge and understanding of your mission in his life, will lead him to desire righteousness to the glory of Christ because that really matters to you. In Pastor Chris's ministry, may he bring glory and praise to you. In Jesus' name, your sheep, M and C. And quite a few of us got this. And the most loving thing this week just stirred my heart, just lifted my spirit. On a personal level, I'm a grandfather with a 13-month-old grandchild, and together with Mona, we enjoy seeing her grow under God's grace, and she's learning things, and at this age, she's just learning so many things. So the, the first thing, of course, I teach her as grandpa, and Mona teaches, is kiss grandpa, kiss grandma. So we are competing for the kisses now. And I ask, so firstly, kiss here, then the last week, kiss grandpa on the lips. Hmm. And it's so wonderful. And same, every kiss that I get, Mona gets a bit envious. Right? And we ask ourselves as we back away, why are we so envious about the kisses that our granddaughter is giving us? Maybe we're suffering kiss deficit between ourselves. Could that be? And so we ask again, what's the most unloving things you've experienced in your life? What's the most loving things you've experienced in your life? And so what we're doing here in this message, as we stand at the second part of the year, is... Preach a message of love. Because at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of Jesus, who is at the heart of the gospel, it's all about love. But before we love, look at the love letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we're going to rewind and replay back. 
Because a recurring theme from the Old to New Testament of God speaking to His people is always this. Always what? Do not forget the Lord your God. Do not forget. Which tells you that you and me in our fallen sinful nature suffer a huge dose of forgetfulness. And from forgetfulness, we suffer a huge dose of forsaking God. And so let's begin our time by asking both our uh, congregations at Bishan and Adam Road, uh, what was the first book we did this year? You can call out wherever you are. The first book we did this year. Yesterday at the 5pm service, it took a while. I hope today it takes slightly faster. Can you remember the first book we did this year and somebody call out? Exodus, that was last year. <laughs> That's very good. Your memory goes even further than this year. <laughs> going once, going twice. Come on. It's Mark's Gospel. Is that right? And then after Mark's Gospel was the second book we did. Oh, thank God. And what have we just done? <laughs> we just did a topical series, right? A topical series on what? That youth matters in hearing the glorious gospel. What, who does Jesus, who is he to our youth in this season of life? And then the unreached or the lost people matter. And the lost can be from children to youth to adults to the elderly, all ages of life. And last week, Pastor Lang Yong preached a wonderful sermon on the elderly matter. Remember all that? Pastor Lang Yong was the preacher last week, you remember or not? Oh, we who forget quickly. All that we learn, we forget. And so that's what we're going to do. The first slide comes on. We're going to look back on the main lessons of Mark, the main lessons of Nehemiah. Before we look forward, as we listen to God's Word in 1 John, but always we are looking to Jesus. Because our theme for the year, and it could be for every year, is what Jesus told us. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. If you do not know, everything you tune into, either on social media or in the real world, is somebody telling you, come buy their products. Come buy into this worldview. Come, follow me in some way. And we want to behold Jesus afresh. So what lessons did you learn from Mark's Gospel? By God's grace, I was privileged to share the messages for our Holy Week. The Holy Week is when all our Presbyterian churches, English-speaking Presbyterian churches, gather together and we hear the glorious Gospel again and again, year after year, as we must, about Jesus' suffering, about Jesus' death, about Jesus' resurrection, about Jesus' return. I do not know, but this struck me, Gethsemane. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took the inner circle of Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and stay here and do what? Stay here and keep watch. So I do not know what you learned from this. But in the prayers and the preparation that by God's grace I undertook, we learned that Jesus watched and prayed. And when He watched and prayed, He watched and prayed for three things. He watched and prayed to obey God's will, even though it would cost Him His life. Obedience to the end degree. And in obeying God's will to the end degree, which meant going to the cross, not for anything He had done against God, but for every sin we have committed against God. It was to take away the wrath of God from us. It was to give us God's grace instead of God's wrath. 
It was to download God who is rich in mercy and God of steadfast, redeeming love. In obeying God's will, He came to stand opposed Satan's will. And Satan's will, the arch enemy of God, is to drive a wedge, a divide between God and us by getting you and me to distrust God in your life. That's always Satan's work. Satan's work is always to make you not love God and not love neighbour. And so if you, you ask yourself, if your main experience of life in the past week, your main experience and emotion in life is, on, is of unloving thoughts, unloving words, unloving actions, please do not get used to that. That is the domain and that is the result of Satan's work, that we will not love God and will not love each other. And then Jesus came to save us from Satan sin and death. And so we see it here. Jesus watched and prayed in three directions to obey the Father's will above all things. And obeying the Father's will, He stood against Satan. And Satan in Jesus' life, do you remember? The first time He turns up is the start of Jesus' ministry. right? In the temptation in the wilderness, the three tests. The next time He turns up is when Jesus makes the first prediction about His suffering and Peter says, don't do that. You mustn't be the suffering Christ. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, not Peter, but Satan. The third and final time Satan turns up is here. At Gethsemane, Jesus is wrestling to obey the Father's will and to stand and destroy Satan's work. And so that's very important. Do you take Satan seriously? If you take God seriously, you must take Satan seriously. And to save us from sin. What sins? Jesus died not because of the sins of the red light area alone. He died because of the sophisticated sins of the religious elite together with those around Him who were doing wrong while they looked right. They were plotting evil while Jesus, uh, plotting evil while Jesus looked wrong for doing the right things under God. And so very important. And so Jesus died to save from Satan, from sin, and God's punishment is death, of death. And so, do you know this passage well? Let me go back to it. Do you think you've memorized this, Gethsemane? I want to say something to myself and to all of us. You must never know God's, will, God's Word too well. You know it well, but not too well that when you read it, ah, oh, I've read Gethsemane before, and it doesn't impact you anymore. So for the past 10 minutes I've spoken, God saves, Jesus saving you from Satan's sin and death. Does that resonate with you at all? At all? That you could be under the clutches of Satan the whole day, the whole week, and every area of your life is under the clutches of Satan until Jesus intervenes and rescues you. So we got a phone call this week, and a phone call from my classmate from Moore College. All those years ago, we keep in touch ever so often, for the last two years of pandemic, he was caught up in different things. I was caught up and he said, I heard from the grapevine, your grandfather. That's <laughs> it. And I asked him, how was it? I'm, I'm, I'm expecting my first one very soon. And so we rejoice in God because more than 30 years ago, when we were Bible college, we had young children and we helped to look after each other's, each other's children. And to think that the babies we helped look after are now married and have children. And so great rejoicing. Then after all that rejoicing, I asked him how he was Last year, I came down with cancer, Chris. I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. Right. What kind of cancer? Lung cancer. 
and because we know each other so much and we both have a strong sense of humour, lung cancer. I said, how did you get it? You must have been smoking your way through life. <laughs> and Singapore, smoke your way through exams, smoke your way through things. And we laughed, 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 and after all that, after, I, I don't know. I said, yeah, it's true here too. As a pastor at ARPC, the highest incidence of people getting lung cancer are Chinese women. No history of this in their family, no smoking their life, healthy lives, and they come down and say, my goodness, the treatment was hard, you know, the chemotherapy really knocked me about. And so he has had to stop ministry and say, yeah, I'm so sorry for that. And I said, don't be sorry, you know. Actually, I've learned so much. I've grown so much closer to God. I said, what's the difference? He says, the difference is, yeah, you and me have preached hundreds of sermons, right, done hundreds of visitations. But now when I go and do a visitation of someone recovering from cancer, I really know the effects of cancer. I really know the knockbacks of, of chemotherapy. And so, I'm so much closer to God. What's he saying? We're all filled with theology up here. You can never know God and His Word too well to not understand that as you live in this world, your final destiny is death. And just in case you've gotten too used to save a Jesus saving us from Satan's clutches, from sin in your life that plagues you in every relationship, and from death, and you think nothing about it, maybe God will give you and me those moments, those experiences, so that you will never think nothing about Jesus. Never think nothing from what He alone can rescue you from, Satan, sin, death, and God's wrath. Amen? You can never know God too well. It is Him that knows us well. So come follow Jesus in spiritual warfare. And a spiritual warfare is two sides to it, two GCs. The Great Commission, go to the ends of the earth and teach them all they have taught you and baptize them in the name of Jesus, uh, baptize them in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And as you go, please don't forget that the greatest ethic, the greatest witness that you are my people is the Great Commandment. Most of us are going individually and as churches in our ministries with the Great Commission in some way, but with not much of the Great Commandment to love each other as the greatest display that I believe in Jesus, I belong to Jesus, and I'm praying to become like Jesus in His sacrificial love. And so, very important we get this right. So what are the lessons that we learn? Next slide. That Gethsemane before Calvary Jesus, that he wrestled in prayer and he wrestled with soul-searching prayer. He was so distressed, he was soaring unto the point of death. Only then, as he surrendered his will to God, could he go all the way to Calvary. And as they mocked him at Calvary, come down if you're the Son of God, the only reason he hung there was that he came not to save himself, but he came to save us. The Son of Man came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And so whatever we do not know we, know, we need to know the Lord of the work before we do the work of the Lord. And that's not to be lost on us. And I don't know, but the lesson that I got was, Christ's watch and pray is finished. That's how He went to the cross, and after three days He rose from the dead. And even now, our risen Lord is sitting at the right hand of God, listening to the message and, and speaking to us through His Word. And Christ's watch and pray is over. Our watch and pray has begun. Do you believe this? 
that you're called into this same spiritual warfare. It's a war that's been won by Jesus, but the battles carry on day by day until His glorious return. And you need to ask yourself, are you making progress in this? Or are you regressing in spiritual alertness? Are you re progressing or, or regressing in spiritual wakefulness? Do you have an increasing sensitivity, spiritual sensitivity to what? To God's sovereignty over the world. What's happening now with the world, with the war in Ukraine? I want to just remind you, there's not just one war in the world. There are many wars. There's a war very close by to us. I was just reminded to us, it's the war in Myanmar. And at least 3,000 people have died. It's very close to us. But it's gone out of the radar because the media is dominated by the West. If there's a war fought in Europe, that's more important than the war fought in Africa, than more important than a war fought in Asia. It would seem that our lives are less important, but no friends. There are wars everywhere. And then there are domestic wars in your families. So are you progressing or regressing? Do you see God's sovereignty? Right? Sensitivity to God's sovereignty? Sensitivity to Satan and men's depravity? Those two things are very important. Unless you are watching and praying, you will not have an eye to God's sovereignty over the global affairs and the personal affairs of your life. Unless you have increasing spiritual sensitivity, you will not have sensitivity to the malevolence of Satan and the malevolence of your own lives. That's important for us to realize. And so, night after night, sermon after sermon, service after service, remember how great that Good Friday service was? But that choir from Amazing Grace just lifted our spirits, right? And so we got wonderful feedback of the efficacy, the fruitfulness of God's preach word and preach gospel. And here was one of them sent by a pastor that one of his domestic helpers had tuned in or come to the service here for Holy Week. And this is what she learned. And she took it all down. But the end of the pandemic is the beginning of what? Yeah, the pandemic has ended. We celebrate. But now what? Now that life has gone back to normal, now what? We have to watch and pray as God's people for uncertain sheep. That maybe through the pandemic, my faith has been really rocked and the main emotion of my life is not serenity by trusting God, but anxiety by looking at my circumstances. Is that you? The serenity that you used to have by simple faith in God has slowly but surely been replaced by anxiety. And you must, norm, must not normalize that anxiety is God's will for your life. It is not. Anxiety is the emotion of pagans. Do not worry about what you eat and drink and wear. The pagans run after these things. But if you are the children of God, if you are my followers, Lord Jesus says, then serenity in God's sovereignty is the main emotion of your life. And so, because she's Filipina, she translated this into, I think it's Tagalog, and then sent this around to her friends. And so this is how you say, the watch and pray is not simply for us. The watch and pray is also for others. And so could there be wandering sheep in your discipleship groups? Could there be wandering sheep among the boys' brigade and the girls' brigade? Could there be wandering sheep in our prison's ministry? Could there be wandering sheep in, in, among your children who are wavering through this time? And watch and pray for wounded shepherds. For when we shepherd and pastor God's flock, we get wounded in the process from suspicions and accusations for things we never did but seem to be doing. And so, I've got great uh, encouragements and 
this one was sent to me, and out of the menus, is yes, there have been apologies and sorries and reconciliation all around in hearing this, that this is what Jesus means for us. Watch and pray. Brings this is in Christ in RPC. Whether you worship this morning at Adam or Bishan, whoever is tuning in as you listen to the podcast, are you progressing or regressing? Are you moving towards Christ or moving away from Christ? Those are fundamental questions you need to ask in your life. Then what did we learn from Nehemiah? They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive, your ear, figuratively, be attentive to what? To the prayer of your servant, his personal prayer, and to the prayer of your servants, plural, collectively, of them. And who does God listen to? He listens to the prayers of those who delight in revering old English word, fearing his name. Not all Israel are Israel. There's only a small pocket of Israelites who truly love Yahweh and fear Yahweh and obey His commandments. And then He switches to the singular, give your servant success today. How? By granting him favour in the presence of this king. Here is God's sovereignty of those, the most powerful men at that time. Here, is, here am I. And then He goes, I'm cupbearer to the king. What lessons did you take away? At least I took away these lessons. The Nehemiah is unthinkably, here's the Lord Jesus, the paradigm and perfection of watching and praying to, uh, to accomplish God's will, to stand and destroy Satan, to save you and me from Satan's effects in our life. And here are all the Old Testament characters raised by God to pursue God's redemption purposes. And here is Nehemiah, a small picture, a temporary picture of what? A temporary picture of watch and pray. For the first chapter introduces him and what is it they are introduced to about Nehemiah? It's about his spiritual walk with God. He gets a report about God's city. And God's city, Jerusalem, lies in ruins. And the walls of God's city lies in ruins. And he is troubled by this. He weeps. And he's like this day and night. I want to ask you, what is it that occupies your mind day and night? Does it have anything to do with God and His purposes and His will? And so day and night, Nehemiah thought about this, and then he embarked on personal confession for any possible sins in his life and for his family, and then for his nation, because he stood in total contrast to who? He stood in total contrast to the nation of Israel that suffered spiritual amnesia, the forgetting of God and the forsaking of God that led them into exile. In what ways did they force, forget God and forsake God? They firstly forgot His commandments. In what ways did, he, did they forsake God? They forgot and they swapped the worship, the exclusive worship of Yahweh with Yahweh plus Baals. Thou shalt have no other gods. They broke the first commandment. If you are willing to break the first commandment, then you are willing to compromise the worship of God with idols in your life, all the rest are very easy to break. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, to do not covet whatever your neighbour has. And what other things did they commit? The lack of love between them, no love between neighbour, 
Rich Jews became richer at the expense of poorer Jews. And Nehemiah experienced that even as the remnant returned. They started to withhold their giving to the Levites, who were there at the forefront to promote God and His holiness among the people. They broke the Sabbath. They forsook God's Sabbath. And the Sabbath is, I will stop working for a day and trust that God will still provide for me. I don't have to work 24-7 and die of anxiety. They first forsook their God-given wives and went after foreign wives. In all those ways, they suffered spiritual amnesia. In all those ways, Nehemiah, in his spiritual walk, watch and pray, stood in total contrast to his generation. And so we are introduced to his walk with God before his work for God. Did you realize the whole of chapter 1? Then one-liner, I was cupbearer to the king. And I want to say to you as we now review, both in the life of Jesus, Gethsemane before Calvary. Calvary is the ultimate work, but Gethsemane is a spiritual condition of utmost obedience to the glory of God. Nehemiah is the same. You see his heart with God before you are introduced to the work of God, which tells you the importance of personal devotion. Very, very important, friends. And that's why we are promoting, that's why we are mentoring, that's why we are modeling. So what do you think of that family devotion video with Deacon Jinwei and his wife, Wan Lin? I hope it was, we hope to instruct and inspire. They're both doctors. And two doctors can be very busy. But did you hear snippets of their testimony? You can play it back again, sure, play it back and pass it on. That no matter how busy they are, they would come home and have meals with their children. And so the dinner time is not a time in which you just eat food together, but you share your spiritual food. To today, anything brought anxiety to your hearts? Anything that a mom struggled with as a doctor in this hospital, with this, with this patients, with management? What did you struggle with as children? And did you hear their insights to children, right? Their insights to children, that children, as they grow up, life gets more and more complex, all the way from the simple bullying, the simple marginalization and ostracization they may feel in real life or on social media, all those things. And because there are three daughters, the age gap between them could be quite big. They maybe started with family devotions together, but as they grew, what kind of devotions did they have? They moved on to what we will encourage you to have with some families in this situation, to age-sensitive devotions, that they will spend time with each child, walking them through their greatest fears, their greatest needs, their greatest struggles in life. And all that takes time. But did you know, just that one psalm that they gave to their children, Psalm 4, 8, that I go to bed and I sleep and I lie down and I experience the peace of God stays with them because we live in a very broken world and a very troubled world. And so if anything, this is what we want to promote more and more. Looking at the life of Jesus and everyone who follows Him is, his, is our spiritual condition, is our quiet time with God, whatever you want to call it, is our personal devotion that will lead to devotedness in our life and we'll do this more and more as families and we'll show you how to do this in our discipleship groups we're going to take devotions as a thing 
there's the highest concern. If right now we did a survey and asked dangerous questions among our leaders, all leaders, 150 teachers who, do, who teach children's church, 60 leaders who teach basic, right? 86 leaders who teach our discipleship groups, elders, deacons, pastors, anything they are leading, right? From um, Basque ministry, prisons ministry, to marketplace ministry. How many of us as leaders have quiet time? If the real honest to goodness thing is running at 30%, at least you start with 30% of us are doing that. How many times a week? Not as a legalistic thing. And then you pray and you move it to 40, to 50. And that's how we have kept going. And so we have got about 1,200 people in our DGs, 1,300 people. So we're running at about 70, 80% in our discipleship groups. And we need to pray for progress in, spiritual, in the spiritual things of God. You think we can grow? Let me just pause. You think we can? Yes, we can and we must. That's our spiritual condition before our work for the Lord. It's our work with the Lord that matters. And the coming of the Gettys was just, as it were, a shot in the arm. And person after person would come up to us, send us notes and thank you for bringing them here. How do we know that the doors will be open and 3,000 of us could be gathered there in wonderful worship of God? So let's take our ability to return our children coming back to Children's Church. For two and a half years, what have you been deprived of? I don't know. For about two and a half years, many of us have been depriving of you know the handshake you gave to each other? You couldn't shake hands for two years. I, I don't know, do you enjoy shaking hands? <laughs> so right now, right, the shaking of hands in many settings, I've tried to shake as many hands as possible, is you reach out the hand, you don't know whether you're going to get a fist bump or a hand. Right? It's just clumsy at this moment. Or should we just do this? Right? The last two months, I've hugged more children and hugged more people as you come back to services. Isn't that wonderful? But that holy hug must be must be expression of the holy love that we have for one another. Whatever you do not know, worship must include singing. Singing alone is not worship. Worship is 24-7. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, verse 1 or 2. But worship must necessarily include singing because the Jews sang as part of their life. As they ascended the temple to worship, they had psalms or songs of ascents preparing them. And Jesus would have sung a song after, after the Last Supper. So we must get this right. What songs are our children listening to? If in a day, you, for every 10 songs you listen to, nine are by Justin Bieber, or what, whatever his name, uh, Bieber. Oh. oh, I just read, Maroon 5 is coming. West Live is coming, right? It's okay to listen to those things. That's our generation. But how much of gospel songs do you listen to? In the afterglow of the Gettys, all the different songs that we listen to, stirs your spirit, right? Encourages you. My sins are many, but His mercy is more. And the classic in Christ alone, which remains the most popular hymn ever, never knocked down, right? In Christ alone, we have all these things. So let's behold Jesus afresh, how good it is. Now, if those were the lessons from Mark and Nehemiah, what lessons from 1 John? 
Very quickly, in overview, because we'll plunge into it deeper from next week onwards. What do we know about the Apostle? In AD 30, 28 to 30, he was called by the Lord Jesus. He didn't come to believe in the Lord Jesus himself. He was called to drop everything and to follow Jesus. And then he followed Jesus for about three, three and a half years. By AD 33, the death and resurrection ascension of Jesus. By AD 54, Nero's reign of terror. When all empires go downhill, they always need a scapegoat. When Russia goes downhill, they need a scapegoat. When America goes downhill, they need a scapegoat. So the changing of global empires is the scapegoating of each other and the wars that they start because they, they make enemies of each other. And so he had some people to blame. He was looking for someone to blame and he found good blame in the very anti-social, anti-law people called the Christians, the followers of the way. By AD 70, as Jesus predicted before he died, the destruction of Jerusalem temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. And then by AD 85, John's gospel, they think, was written around this time. And they think one John was written after, see how it meant? Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the gospel will go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so persecution broke out against the first Jewish Christians where? In Jerusalem. As many of them fled, and that began the Jewish mission and the Gentile mission. And they fled to Rome a lot. Rome became headquarters. Then persecution broke out there, and then they fled. And one of the main cities of sanctuary was Ephesus. By this time, John was still alive, but in all likelihood, Paul and Peter had been martyred. So John, perhaps, is the longest surviving apostle. And we think that maybe Revelation was written last around this time. And so, if that's the apostle, what is it about the epistle we need to know? The main messages. And for those who are new, um, you know, a joke in children's circle, the epistle is not the wife or the apostle. It's the letters, right? Because epistle is not a popular English word today. The hugest word you need to know as you read First John is the word gnosis. So maybe our transliterator is not so right, right? It's G-N-O-W-S-I-S, right? Gnosis, and appears 42 times. You know why? Because a group that turned out to be false teachers among them were actually saying all you need in life, the most important thing you need in life between God and you is special knowledge. And this special knowledge is given to an elite. And they were the ones in touch with the true and living God. John, when he hears this, John the Apostle and John the Pastor, when he hears this, he takes the word that they like to use. We have gnosis, we have gnosis, we have this special knowledge, and says they are wrong. What you need in life is not simply, hey, I just come along to you and say, you just need education. You need more knowledge. We are the most knowledgeable generation with the internet, right? But we are the most unwise generation. More information, less reformation. And where are a lot of these crimes taking place? All this upskirting, where is it taking place? You read ever so often in our media, it happens in our university. You send your son there to study, you send your daughter there to study, and they are not safe in university, NUS, NTU, wherever. Education does not save you. It is salvation in Christ and Christ alone. Then he came as a man, and we, John, we were eyewitnesses. We saw, we heard, we touched. We met especially the risen Lord Jesus. So we truly know the historic Jesus. You know 
the Jesus of your imagination. And you think and you tell people that the only thing you need in life is gnosis. We tell you that the only thing you need in life is Christus, Jesus. If He didn't come in the flesh, if He didn't die on the cross, you'll be still stuck in sin and under the wrath of God. And so He mentions sins 27 times. He mentions the devil at strategic points that the Son of God has come to destroy the works of the devil. And the most used word in 1 John is love. It appears 43 times and 32 times in just chapter 4, verse 7 to 5, verse 3, which tells you that what John has labored to do is the same message of Mark's gospel, is the same message of Nehemiah, that Jesus is God's love letter to us to save us from Satan's unlove. So I'm going to ask you, it's all about destinations, right? You've come from where to where? You come from your home to here. In coming from your home to here, what have you experienced? So ask that. Maybe you came from a troubled home. Maybe you came from a prosperous home. Maybe you came, and you arrive here, you arrive here slightly hot, slightly bothered. You arrive here slightly anxious, slightly distracted. Jesus came from where to where? He came from the endless love that He experienced between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The endless love. And He came to the world and experienced the endless hatred of this world. That's a very different destination. If you travel all the way from your home to come to somewhere, right, and you go to that place, it's filled with endless hatred. He came from a place called heaven where there's endless peace because God rules there unhindered, unfettered to a place of endless wars in our hearts and in our lands. This is the historic Jesus that He wants to present to us again and again. And so this is how He ends. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Can you both at Bishan and Adam read this for me, verse 19, together? I did this all a favor by doing what? Just in case you read this in your moment of unconsciousness, please see the word know. We know, we know, we know. What is it he knows? And you could break down John's epistle, 1 John, into three things he wants you and me to know. If we claim this, we must know Jesus. Then he came from a place of endless love to a place of endless hatred. He came from a place of endless peace because of the triune God to a place of endless wars. He broke into our world in the beginning. He broke into our world to do this. And so it's the Jesus test. The false teachers in all didn't need to get this right. There was an abhorrence in Greek culture and philosophy. How could deity take on humanity? Because they couldn't reconcile that God could take on human form. They rejected it and came up with their own heresy of Christ. And from that, the sin test. If you are taking, if you understand where Jesus has come from and what He's come to do, then you take sin seriously. And why is it they didn't take sin seriously? The false teachers, 
just got them to leave John's church. And they didn't think twice about leaving John's church. It's like two people leaving your DG group. They didn't think twice about it. But John said, their departure from us who have the truth shows that they don't belong to the truth, no matter how much knowledge they claim they have. And their departure is not mere departure, it's sinful. Because what? They fail the love test because they have broken love with us. And so you need to ask as we read 1 John, if God gives you a test, will you pass the Christ test? Who is Jesus and how important is He to you from moment to moment? You need to meet Him afresh in your daily life. And how good it is to know Jesus again. And from that, the obedience test. And from that, the love test. And so how important, unless you behold Jesus, you will never behold that love matters. It mattered so much that it came. And so how many of you were born after 1969? Hands up, across the board. Bishan and then how many of you born after 1969? Quite a young demographic, right, don't you think, ARPC? So I two, two, three folks from Australia come a few weeks ago and they, I met them in Australia. They came, so good to see so many young people here. And I said to them, all Asians look young, <laughs> except for the grey head. <laughs> because in many Western churches, we will be very hard-pressed to find young folk. Don't take it for granted that the predominant age group that we have here are in their 20s to the 40s. So if you're born after 1969, you were not there. You were not there for what? You were not there when the first man landed on the moon. Neil Armstrong, right? And so July 20th, 1969, astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed. As they landed and about to open the door, they had a message from headquarters, Houston headquarters, Take a moment, we're sorting things out. As they waited, what did they do? As he and Neil, as Aldrin and Neil Armstrong prepared for the next thing, Aldrin got on the communication system all the way from moon to the earth. You want to Google how far that is? From the moon to the earth and spoke to the ground crew back on earth. And what did he say? I would like to request a few moments of silence I would like to invite each person tuning in, and more than half the world tune in with the technology of that time, 43 years ago, right? I would like to invite each person listening in, wherever and whomever he may be, to contemplate for a moment the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his own individual way. And then what did he do? He reached out for the wine, and the bread he was permitted to bring to space, the first food ever poured or eaten on the moon. And there before partaking of the elements, astronaut Aldrin read John 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't it amazing that the first thing he does out there is to remember the Lord Jesus and to remember it as a sacrificial thing. Astronauts go through a hard time and many of them don't ever make it. And we've lost, I think they've lost about 19 astronauts trying to fly them into space. 
If you're ever called out to be an astronaut, you know it's a sacrifice. Subsequently, in his 2010 memoirs, Aldrin wrote that he had come to wonder if he had done the right thing by celebrating a Christian ritual in space. Because now, 40 years later, America had become very multi-religious, multicultural, because there are Christians, there are Jews, there are Muslims, there are agnostics, there are atheists. But he says, at that time, I could think of no better way to acknowledge the Apollo 11 experience than by giving thanks to God. I had no better way to acknowledge this experience than by giving thanks to God. And you ultimately give thanks to God by giving thanks to God for Jesus. God's love letter to us. I do not know what experiences you will face, but we share common humanity and whatever experiences you face, from the greatest fears to the greatest overcoming of fears, from the greatest failures to the greatest success, from the deepest sorrows to the greatest joys, may we always remember Jesus, who came as God's love letter to give us the endless love of God and invite us through the cross to that endless love by simple faith, by believing in Him.